Good morning, guys. I'm going to do something that I, I don't think I've done before in the life of our church. Uh, many of you know we've been journeying through a study through the book of Acts, and Peter Jovanovich was scheduled to preach this Sunday, and he texted me yesterday, said he was unable to preach, he's still feeling pretty sick. So last night I, I put a message together. Hey. hey, so typically I like to spend some time during the week putting my sermons together, but Lord willing, I will have something to present to you today. And I thought, I wanted something that was kind of in line with what we've been looking at in Acts. You know, we've been looking at uh, the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. As Acts 1, Jesus promises the Spirit. Acts 2, the Spirit comes at Pentecost. Acts 3, we just looked at uh, Peter heals in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. So I wanted to think about something about the Spirit. And I, I, as I was praying and uh, talking with some church members, I, I came to the conclusion, I feel like God wants me to talk about Galatians 5. Amen. So, if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open and turn with me to Galatians 5. We're going to take a quick pause on our Acts series, Lord Willing. Peter will be preaching Acts 4, 1 through 22 next week. So if you're just dying to, to learn what happens in Acts and Acts, the good thing is you can read about it in, in your scriptures. Uh, but Peter has a message that I'm excited to hear next week. Lord willing, we will hear from Peter. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Galatians 5, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 24. Is walking like the Spirit like learning magic? Like thinking about Harry Potter, and you just have to know certain spells. And it's kind of about pronunciation, right? Leviosa, not leviosa, or... I can't remember exactly. There's, okay, thank, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm not as much of a Harry Potter fan and more of a Star Wars fan. But is it kind of like magic or is it like Star Wars? It's like, you know, the spirit is this living thing that flows through us. It binds us together, right, as Obi-Wan tells Luke. And you learn that you have to be sensitive to the, the force. You have to learn how to kind of manipulate and, and use the force. It's kind of about feelings. What does it mean to walk by the spirit? Is it kind of just like this mystical thing that some people seem to walk more by the Spirit than others? How do you guys understand it? Like, trust your feelings? Well, the, the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's a person, right? It's a person of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives Amen. to his people. He guides us in the truth. The Spirit helps us to become more like Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 that the Spirit's going to come to them, he's going to guide them in the truth, and he's going to glorify me. So you think about the Spirit, the Spirit's kind of function role is kind of like the guy in the back of the stage who has a spotlight, who is continually aiming at the hero of the play. The Spirit is wanting to keep the spotlight focused on Jesus. He wants to glorify Jesus, make much of Jesus, and the Spirit is our helper to live by faith, to understand the Scriptures, to follow Jesus. And I'd like to set before you today what my perspective on what it means to walk by the Spirit. I think it's synonymous with walking by faith. And I think in Galatians, Paul uses these terms to kind of describe the same reality. So whether you want to talk about it as walking by the Spirit, walking by faith, uh, the fear of the Lord, walking in wisdom, I think they're all kind of biblical terms to describe the same concept of walking and following Jesus. Does that make sense? So I'd like to, I'd like to share, that, share that today. Is that making sense? You guys still with me? Yes. 
All you guys in the back? Yes. Them too. So Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia after hearing that they had been deceived. They were led astray by false teachers who claimed that faith alone in Jesus was not enough. They needed to do works of the law. So if you really wanted to be made right with God, you couldn't just believe in Jesus. You also had to do certain things to be justified. And these false teachers were claiming that you had to obey Jewish customs and laws. You, you had to be circumcised. You had to obey certain food laws if you wanted to be made right with God. If you wanted to be approved with him. And they were attacking Paul. They were claiming he wasn't really an apostle because he was giving them the partial truth, not the full truth that it's salvation by faith and works. And Paul said, you guys are hearing a different gospel. Like anything that adds to the gospel of the gospel is received by faith alone is in fact a different gospel. Like you don't add to the gospel or you don't take away from the gospel. Anything that you change in the gospel contaminates the whole thing and makes it a very different thing altogether. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's writing. And then Paul does in Galatians, he wants to sit, set the record straight. He, he says, if these teachers really knew the law, the Jewish law, they would know that no one is justified by the law. Relying upon the law is fact actually being under a curse, under condemnation. He says, you guys were once in bondage to sin under the curse, under the condemnation of the law, and then you received the gospel and Christ set you free. Why, therefore, are you returning to a yoke of slavery? And you were freed from the crushing, constant fuel attempts to earn your, your worth or your acceptance or your justification with God. You're freed from that. You've been made right by faith. Those circumcision, food laws, they don't matter in your standing with God. What matters is faith. And as faith works through love, Paul teaches the Galatians that they're not to use their freedom as an opportunity to do whatever they want, but as an opportunity to serve one another in love. So it's kind of right after that exhortation and, and hey, use your freedom that you have in Christ, you're freed from the law to serve, to love. That's in fact the fulfillment of it. And this is what Paul writes and he says, walk by the spirit. So verses 16 through 24, Paul builds out upon this teaching and I think he's teaching us how we can stay in the freedom that Christ has secured for us. It's only made possible by the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to kind of not fall back into slavery or fall back into selfishness. So let's, let's consider Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, or some translate, those who make a practice such things. It's not as if you have a fit of anger and it's like, oh, shoot, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom. You're not continually enslaved by anger. You're not making a practice of fits of anger. I warned you that those who make a practice of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Notice, fruit, right? It's not as though I'm doing like four out of nine on these. I'm batting 400. I'm batting 500. And Baseball terms, I'm, I'm all-star. I'm Hall of Fame. I'm the best hitter ever. It says fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This morning I'd like to kind of present three headers for our text today. The call, the conflict, and the crucifixion. Okay, let's look at the call. What is, what is Paul calling the church in Galatia? What is, what is the call for us? He says, I say, walk by the Spirit. That's the call. Walk by the Spirit. Live your life by the Spirit. Walk in the Bible it describes the, the patterns or the habits or the way of life. It, it means to live or, or set up yourself in a, a certain manner, behave in a certain manner. You can think about this as some other translations say. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. The Amplified Bible says, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. Be directed by the Spirit. Some translations say, follow the Spirit. And Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you may not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, you walk by the Spirit, you won't. It's like they're opposed to each other. You do walk by the Spirit, you're not going to walk in the flesh. These anger, jealousy, rivalry, division, idolatry, these things will not be a part of your life. You walk by the Spirit. So then what's the conflict? That's the call, walk by the Spirit. What's the conflict? The Spirit, the desires of the Spirit, are against the desires of the flesh. And the flesh has desires. The Spirit has desires. And the goal is not remove all desire from your life. I went through a period of trying to do that. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, I'll just, let me just try to become dead inside. <laughs> it doesn't work. The spirit has desires, the flesh has desires, and these cravings are in opposition to the desires of the spirit. They're constantly fighting so that you, you don't do what you want to do, right? And that's what Paul's saying. You, he says, a true Christian, the mark of a Christian, is underneath all of the fighting, the conflict is, actually there is a desire to obey God and follow God. But there's this battle, there's this conflict between spirit and flesh. Well, uh, the half-brother of Jesus says it like this in James. I, I, I quote this many times to my daughters. <laughs> what causes quarrels and fights among you? James 4.1. Why do you guys fight so much? What causes quarrels and fights among you? What would you guys say? It's her fault. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, I just wouldn't, if she wouldn't have done this to me, I wouldn't have yelled at her. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. So right there we see all desires are not bad. If there's some desires that God is saying he wants to give and respond in prayer to us, all desires are not bad, right? Yep. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. This is its conflict. And one of the most helpful illustrations I've, I've found on the nature of humanity, like how do we work? Has ever done a study on this or thought, what, what, what am I? What am I made of? I feel this body and less of this hair back here. I'm trying to get more here. More hair is growing in different places. Or we could feel that, right? But what, what is that immaterial part? Some say we don't, there is a no immaterial part. You die, you rot, happy life. You know, YOLO. You got it once, go for it. 
what is, but what are we as humans? And the Bible presents, we're, we're made up of two things, spirit and flesh. And what's confusing about that is at different times, flesh means different things, or at different times, spirit means different things, but you could characterize it as we are made up of material, right? And see you and feel you, and we can feel that, or that there's an immaterial. And there's all kinds of words that describe the immaterial, right? God makes Adam by forming him out of the dust and breathing life into him. So there's material and immaterial. And the scriptures talk about this immaterial part in many different words. Heart, soul, mind, spirit. But they're all describing, I think, the same thing. So one of the most helpful frameworks I've seen for describing who we are, immaterial, is from a guy named Dr. Jeremy Pierre in a concept, a book called The Dynamic Heart. And I, 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 I hope this is okay. I'm giving him credit now. But I kind of took some of his stuff and so I can show it to you on the screens. So Dr. Pierre, I, yeah, I, here it is. Pretty sure he said we could use this. I'm remembering that rightly. Uh, and it's, it's brought up into, he characterized it in, in three three things that are constantly at work inside the heart, working together. So he talks about the heart as the center of the cognitive. So the cognitive is our thinking, our knowing, our believing, our reasoning, our remembering, our interpreting. Right? That's, the Bible refers to that as the heart. The Bible also refers to our desires, our values, our feelings, our emotions as coming from the heart. So the, the heart is the center of the, the cognitive and the affective. And the heart is also the center of the volitional. You guys see the chart up there? Okay, volitional. So our willing, our deciding, our intending, our committing, our acting, that is all what, in this framework, this perspective is called the heart. Is this making sense? Yeah. It's helpful to me. I, I don't know if it'll be helpful to you. If, if you have any questions about this, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. The, this is all in the center of the heart. And, and oftentimes what, what discipleship or what counseling is, is, is helping people see what is going on inside their heart that they could pray and begin to change and see Essentially, why do we do what we do? Does that make sense? I'm fascinated with that. Like, if I'm, if I'm sinning, why am I sinning? Because I don't want to do that that way anymore. I want to know what's underneath that. Is it, well, sin? Yes. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I know that. I sin. But are there certain things that are influencing that sin that can help me to change? And, and I found in counseling and in, in spiritual formation that this is, in fact, what happens is, confessing this revealing of our self and our sin and coming to God in repentance, asking him to change our hearts. So there's some examples here that I, I found um, helpful in helping us understand what this means. So let's, let's say, for example, uh, you have this belief that orange juice is bad for you. It's bad for your health. And you have to take care of your body and your wife is to help you to be responsible for taking care of your body. And she pours you a glass of orange juice. Based on your beliefs, right, the cognitive, how are you going to interpret that situation? You could interpret it like this. My wife is making a hostile act against my health. And that comes from what you believe and the situation. Okay, let's look at, how about the effective heart response? Okay, there's a child that, the child, he's a, should desire to, you have a child that you have a, a child and you want her to live in a world that, where she doesn't experience sorrow and pain, but the situation is that the child dies. What are the feelings that you're going to have based on those desires? Sorrow, right? Anger, fear. 
So oftentimes what our feelings communicate show, like the, the fruit of our desire, the feelings is the root of our desires. Does that make sense? So I, I can get really angry sometimes because I desire quietness. I love a quiet house. I love a really quiet house. I love a dark, quiet house. And having three kids and, and three girls specifically, it doesn't often feel like a quiet house. And if I have this desire for quietness that, that supersedes my desire to love my girls and be a Christ-like example to them and train them up in the way of the Lord, if my desire for quietness supersedes my desire for godly desires, what happens? Get angry, and I respond poorly. Is this making sense? Okay. Let's look at the volitional heart response. So the situation is, there's a young Marine, and he's expected to go with his friends to go to a strip club. Now, how is he going to make the decision? It's going to be based on his commitments. So is his commitment to guard his heart for his wife and his children, is his commitment to live a life pleasing of the Lord, or is his commitment to fit in with his friends? And based on what commitment is higher in his heart, it's going to affect the choice to refuse to join or to join with them. So we have to be, I think, growing as a Christian means kind of a growing awareness of what's going on in our heart to know, why do I respond the way that I do? What choices do I make and why do I make them? And oftentimes it's because of what's going on behind this. Does that make sense? So let's, let's talk about this situation. I've seen this sometimes in marriage counseling. Husband has a belief that, that, that he believes his wife thinks that he's irresponsible and that she's better than him. That's the belief that the husband has. I've had this belief too. And he has a desire that he wants respect as he defines it. And he has a commitment that I should get what I want. That's what's going on in his heart. Well, what, what happens when the wife asks him, demands, why is the bank account so low? What did he spend the money on? He might interpret that as my wife is criticizing me. Maybe she's not doing that. He might feel anger and offended, and he might make the choice to yell and insult and threaten. Does that make sense? So the scriptures talk about the fact that this, this, this heart that we have, this immaterial part of us in our thinking and our feeling and our cognitive, our, our volitional, our choices, this has all been stained by sin. So it's not as though this flesh is like this external thing that you know, attacks us. and It's like, no, it's inside and it's affected and it's tained. Tained? Stained. I meant to say tainted. There's another one, Nathan, for your list of the year. Stained with sin. So our thinking, our knowing, our believing, our reasoning is... Our desires, our emotions, our feelings, our, our acting, it's all been affected by sin. And growing as a disciple is, is kind of coming more un, underneath godly thinking, godly desires, and godly commitments that it works itself out in your life. And I think this is all what it means to be led by the Spirit. To crucify the flesh means you're doing this. Okay? A few more questions. Uh, I'd love to talk with you afterwards, but what being led by the Spirit is not just simply affects our feelings. 
doesn't just simply affect our choices and it doesn't simply affect our thinking. It's, it's all encompassing. Where we are called to have a thinking faith, a right desiring faith, and a committed faith. Amen? And, and Paul writes in verse 18, and if you are led by the Spirit, right? if, you're, if your heart is, is being transformed by the Spirit, you're following the Spirit's guidance, you're not under obligation of law of Moses. The Spirit causes us to not gratify the flesh or the self-centeredness. You're guided by the Spirit. You're not subject to the law. It's like you're free to live as God has designed us to live by His Spirit. Yeah. Amen. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. And these are this, this, this flesh is kind of this immaterial part that's stained and sin has stained us, but it works itself out in ways that are evident. When you follow desires of sinful nature, the practices are pretty clear, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, the list goes on, envy, rivalries, anger, and uh, Paul kind of just adds it there at the end, and other things like these. <laughs> like, this is not an exhaustive list. Other things like these. I said, I, I warned you guys a long before that those who practice, those who continue in such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This, if you continue in this way, there's not change in confession and repentance that demonstrates you, you're, not, you're not a part of the kingdom. The Spirit is, in fact, not indwelling and ruling in your life. This fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So you're, you're living by the Spirit. These are present in your life. These are, these are evident in your life. Now, I, in Louisiana, I had a 25 by 50 foot garden. I would borrow my church member's tractor and go through there and till it up and, and plant. And I had cucumbers and watermelons and cantaloupes and tomatoes. It was, it was awesome. I didn't necessarily like all the work of like weeding because, man, it's a lot of work to weed and pull grass. But I'm not an expert gardener and I, I don't really know a lot about farming. But I know if you show me the fruit of a tree... I can tell you where that fruit came from. If you show me an orange, I can tell you, hmm, that probably came from an orange tree. <laughs> you show me an apple, right? I can tell you, yeah, that was from an apple tree. I know the origin of that fruit. This is the, the illustration that Paul is painting for us. The functional center of your life will be demonstrated by how you live your life. You can tell about the nature of the tree by the fruit that's produced. Following the Spirit will not produce the, the works of the flesh. Living in the flesh will not produce the fruit of the Spirit. So we've seen the, the call. What are we called to do? We're called to live by the Spirit means, I think, to call to live by faith. It means we're, we're called to, to submit ourselves and our thinking and our feeling and our willing to the, the lordship of Jesus to be changed by the Spirit. And we do that. We're fighting this conflict, I think, as there's crucifixion. So we see the call, the conflict, the crucifixion. Verse 24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, earlier in Galatians, Paul has written this, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think right there you see Paul's this synonymous living by the Spirit with living by faith. So this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul's trusting and exhorting and teaching the Galatians that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you, in fact, have been crucified with him. The life you live now is is you live by faith. Jesus was crucified in the place of his people so that the, the punishment for their works of the flesh, their anger, their idolatry, their division, their all the works of the flesh, all the things that would banish you from the presence of God. Jesus says, I'm taking all of that on myself on the cross. So the scriptures say, Jesus, in fact, he became sin in our place. Even though he didn't know sin, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And Jesus freed us from the curse of the sin so that we could stand before God free, free from condemnation, free from sin and shame. Jesus became sin in our place and he experienced the wrath of God so that we would not. We would experience his love. He was cut off from the Father so that we would be brought into his presence. He took God's wrath so that we could receive God's kindness. As Paul says, I've I've been crucified with Christ. Anyone who is in Christ, we've been crucified with him. If you are a Christian, you have been crucified with Christ. But what Paul's saying here in in Galatians 5.24 is those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So the sense of which when we are saved, when we become a Christian, we are crucified with Christ. It's this God is the kind of active participant. By faith, we're joined to that crucifixion. And Paul's Paul's saying in this, we crucify the flesh. It's like the the responsibility is, it's not simply on us, but we are the the active ones in the crucifying. Does that make sense? Paul says in Romans, the Spirit gives us, by, by the Spirit, we put to death the work of the flesh. This Puritan guy named John Owen said, be killing sin, lest it be killing you. Like There's this active kind of role that we have as Christians to kill, to crucify, to fight the flesh. And I think the more that we realize and experience how costly our sin was to Jesus, the more we will seek to kill our own sin. It's like the gospel is the, the motivating force behind this. We die to ourselves and live for the good of others. It's it's in response to us being united to Christ's crucifixion that, that we crucify the flesh. So Paul says, count yourself dead to sin. It's like, think about yourself as you really are. You are dead to sin. You've been crucified with him. And, and part of growing more like Jesus is counting yourself, thinking more like that, aligning who you really are with the truth, aligning your thinking, your, your feelings, your behaviors, your choices with the truth. Commentator J.M. Boyce said this about Galatians 5.24. He says, the, the verb here is not in the passive voice as used in Galatians 2.20. The verb is in the active voice. It points rather to what the believer has done and must continue to regard as being done. The proper term to describe this act, crucify the flesh, is repentance. Thus, the believer in Christ has already repented of his former way of life to the degree of actually having executed the old nature. This does not mean that the battle is thereby over forever. It is an actual crucifixion, 
Life lingers even though the criminal has been nailed to the cross. Nevertheless, the believer is to regard the divisive act as having been done. He is not to seek to remove from the cross that what has been nailed there. Just love the way that was said. Christians are, are those not simply who identify sin. We don't simply just pick up our crosses and carry it around. We kill our flesh. We crucify the flesh. John Stott says it like this. The rejection of our old nature is to be decisive. Although death by crucifixion was a lingering death, it was a certain death. Criminals who were nailed to a cross did not survive. This draws out the significance of this fact for us. Crucifixion produced death, not suddenly, but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completing death, that is, the flesh, while we are here below. In other words, we're never going to master the crucifixion of the flesh. But we have fixed the flesh to the cross, and we can determine to keep it there until it expires. Amen? Amen? Yep. This is, it, unfortunately, as I'm praying and considering this, I've been thinking about what does it mean to live by the Spirit for the last couple of years? What, is it, what does that really mean? I wish there was like three steps that I could give you. Like just do these three things and instant holiness. <laughs> I haven't found that to be the case. And if you have found that, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear your magic formula because I'd, I'd like to learn that. But it, it's not a magic trick to learn. It's a process. The act of intentionally confessing sin and repenting of sin and killing sin and treating it with contempt and hating it, not having any compassion on it, so bad as Sarah deserves to die, it doesn't deserve anything more than the cross. That's a process. It happens over years of, of maturity. It's what it means to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is the path we walk in as well as the guide who shows us the way. We live by the Spirit. It says walk by the Spirit. We must use God-ordained means to keep in step with the Spirit, like the Spirit-inspired Word of God the Spirit-filled people of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. I don't think it's a coincidence that I've seen people that, that grow and just are on a steady trajectory of growth are those who are connected to a body of Spirit-indwelled people. Amen. Convinced that you can't necessarily grow too apart from community. It's like community is a, is a way of showing us our, our true self. Not always pretty what we see in the mirror, but it's a beautiful thing that God has given us. Those who walk by the Spirit walk by faith. It's what Paul says in Galatians 3, 1 through 7. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you receive the Spirit? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it indeed was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See the connection there? Know then that is those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means to live by faith. And as we we see the works of the flesh that might flare up in our life. We pray that God would give us clarity on why. What is at the root of this work? What is operating and functioning in the center of my, like what are my true desires? What are my true commitments? What is the, my true belief? 
And Father, would you help me to continually conform those to your word by your spirit? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us this morning to do something that was not planned. My plan, Father, was to have Peter preach Acts 4. This is my finals week. I was pretty stressed. I feel like you have revealed still, even as, as I preach, how quickly I can turn to trust in myself and not live by faith. Lord, I thank you for what you have taught us so far in, in the book of Acts, and Lord, I look forward to what you will continue to teach us as we study Acts, as we seek to see the, the works of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the life of your church. What, what does it look like when the church is enlivened, emboldened with the Spirit? It's, it's compelling. I thank you for the evidences of your Spirit in our church, the fruit of the Spirit that I see coming into fruition in our life as Marriages are being restored and families are growing in unity and love and peace as relationally we're growing as people of patience and love and less fear and insecurity and walls being up and more seeing the beauty of being known by others and knowing others. Lord, I pray that you'd help our church to be a community of grace, that we can feel comfortable to be honest with each other. That, that as we are honest with how we feel, we, we can in fact bring our raw emotions, we can bring our, our raw thoughts to you in prayer. We can bring those to each other. And I pray that you do that without a kind of fear of judgment or rejection. I thank you for the, the gift of this community that showed me so much of, of, of my sin, of, of my remaining flesh, that, that you would... In your love for me, you want me to grow more in, in being led by your spirit. You want me to experience more of your joy and your peace and your love. And I believe you want to do the same in this church. I pray that as we, we think about it, we don't want to simply think, oh, yeah, the gospel is for non-believers. I need practical tools and tips. I pray that as we think and center ourselves on the gospel that we would see, and then respond to the gospel, respond in growing in holiness, growing in self-giving love that we saw on the cross. Lord, I pray that you might use my, my words, my, my meditation, that they would be pleasing to you, that, that this would be a time of instruction in the church. Lord, we pray that you'd be with Peter, that you would heal his body and that Lord willing, he would be able to preach next Sunday. We pray that you'd be with those in our church that are, that are feeling sick. It seems like there has been so much sickness. And we're tempted to become discouraged and isolated and withdraw from each other. Father, I pray for Melody's upcoming surgery, that you would be over the hands of the doctors, that you would bring healing to her body, that, that she would, she's waited so long for this, Father, that you would keep her body healthy until the surgery 
and that the surgery would go smoothly, that she would return to a place of leaping and dancing. So he looked at last week. Lord, thank, for, thank you for your, your spirit that's living and active and in this church. And you're with us. And you're transforming us into the image of Jesus. We pray that we would be more led by the spirit. Would you help us to crucify the desires of the flesh? Would you help us to grow in, in a greater understanding of ourself and of your great love for us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.